Our passage this morning is found in Matthew, the second chapter, verses 1 through 12. And as we're turning to that uh, passage, I'd kind of like to give you a little disclaimer. Let me tell you what it is. Uh, when I was going through seminary, I had an uncle call me, and he said, uh, Eddie, I'm going to be teaching a Sunday school class on the wise man and the Bethlehem star. And you being in seminary, having access to a big old library, would you, would you go in there and would you look and, and see what uh, some information for me on that? And I said, why, sure, Uncle, I'll do that. So I went into the library and uh, I grabbed about four items that uh, I thought he'd want to use in his Sunday school class. And uh, I proceeded to uh, call him back and give him that information. And you could tell, as I was telling him all these things that I had found, that he started to wish that he'd never called me in the first place. <laughs> because you see, my, my dear sweet uncle had seen this portrait of the manger. And uh, in the back, there was a horse in a stable, and there was wise men in one corner, and there were shepherds in the other corner. There was a little drummer boy on the left. And then there was the manger itself, and Joseph, and Mary, and angels in the manger. And uh, I kind of blew that picture out of the water for him. And so, as I preach this sermon to you today, I want you to know that I probably will step on some toes. I don't mean to upset you. I don't mean to make you mad. Uh, I am a big believer in following the scriptures and preaching exactly what they say. And so when I tell you that there really wasn't a little drummer boy that was invented in 1941, <laughs> please don't get too mad at me. Uh, many of you know the sound of music, the Von Trapp family. And uh, that song came from the carol of the drum out of Czechoslovakia. And the Trapp family picked it up and they put a little drummer boy in there. And uh, so we've been hearing the rumpa pum pum, rumpa pum pum, rumpa pum pum. And it never existed. So I'm just going to tell you that right up front. If you're angry at me about the little drummer boy, I ask your forgiveness in advance. Matthew, the second chapter, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at the rising and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all of the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will help shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time and date the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star that they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And falling to their knees, they worshipped him. And when they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Philippi to the wise men 
who seek him. Now, first off, there's a lot of things that have been taken from this passage of Scripture that people that hate the Lord, hate the Bible, hate religion, have taken and twisted. And they use it against us. And so what I tell people is, you follow the Bible, you read what it says, that is your doctrine, that is your creed. Don't let anybody put stuff in there that doesn't belong because that's how you get set upon and that's how you lose your faith. But the scripture, when you talk about the word wise men, they use the word magi. And there's a lot of people that want to believe different things about who were these magi. Some believe that they were eastern kings. And I will tell you that uh, no self-respecting king is going to get on a horse and ride six months to get to Bethlehem, a little town of Bethlehem, or, or Israel for that matter, and give obeisance to, a king, to another king. Because you see, that means they're crossing across other kings' boundaries. And that's almost asking for war. So they're not going to do it. Some say they were astrologers. And those that hold out that view say they were also magicians. And I will tell you that it was not the, the, the desire of, King, of uh, Matthew or Levi, the tax collector, to put another religion into the book of Matthew. That was not his aim. But some say, and I believe this, that they were astronomers. And I believe that with all my heart. When you look at the book of Esther, I don't know how many people have read that, you might remember that at the time this was Persia, and Esther was a, a daughter or a niece of Mordecai. And she was picked for her beauty, and she was able to become queen of, uh, of Persia. And when Daniel was there, and keep in mind there's a lot of strings to this, when Daniel was there, Daniel was chosen as the wisest man among the wise men that Nebuchadnezzar and a few other kings were looking at. And you might ask, well, how did Jews wind up in there? Well, I told you last week about how Assyria conquered the land of, of Israel, and an angel drove them off, and they didn't get to conquer the land of Judah. And so they took hostages back with them when they went back to the area called Babylon. And the Assyrians ruled Babylon for some time, and then the Persians came in and took over from them. But they kept the hostages because Israel was still a protectorate of Persia. And so Daniel was one of their wise men. And you might remember the story of Daniel and all the things that he went through. Nowadays, when I was in Iraq, uh, I had some interpreters that were Persians. And uh, I asked them, I said, well, are you called Persians? And they gave me a name that they would prefer to be called. And I said, oh, I've never heard that before. And, I, and they said, yeah. I said, what does it mean? It means son of Esther. It means daughter of Esther. They don't really care too much for the Muslim faith that's taken over that land. They still consider themselves the daughters and sons of Esther. So a little extra thing for you, free of charge. But uh, Daniel gave them a lot of wisdom. And in the book of Daniel, there's predictions about the Messiah. And he taught that to those wise men. So they were looking for Messiah star. 
And it's interesting, you might ask, well, how come the wise men that sitting in King Herod's court never caught on to that? Well, if you know anything about King Herod's kingdom, it was very strife-ridden. And Herod was desirous that his family line would rule Israel forever. He had already made peace with the Romans. The Romans allowed him to be king. He had Pontius Pilate in his back pocket. So he felt like, I got it made. I am the king of Israel. I want my family to forever be in the kingdom of Israel. I want them to rule it forever. So the time came, and these astrologers were watching. I said astrologer, didn't I? I didn't mean to. These astronomers were in the royal kingdom of Persia, and they were unexpected worshipers of Jesus. Many sources from this period report the skill of the Magi in divination, but Matthew's audience would probably first recall the Magi of their Greek translation of the Old Testament, Daniel's enemies, whom Daniel's narrative portray in a negative light as selfish, incompetent, and brutal pagans. Perhaps because Daniel dwelt among them, and because so many attempts were made on Daniel's life, and obviously the Lord God thwarted every one of them, that a grudging respect for Daniel came about. And finally, a deep admiration. In Numbers, the 24th chapter, it says, There will come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. The Babylonian magi, and this is who I believe these people came from, because of all the kingdoms that existed to the east of Israel, the only one that would have cared would have been the Persians. So the Babylonian magi may have recorded this fact which would stand out to them. Generations later, when the star appeared to their ancestors, they might have begun their journey to the land of Daniel to complete the mystery. Although the Bible forbade divination, which includes astrology, for one special event in history, the God who rules the heavens chose to reveal himself to the pagans because the pagans were looking for him. Without condoning astrology, Matthew's narrative challenges our prejudice against outsiders to our faith. Even the most pagan of pagans may respond to Jesus if given the opportunity. I still, I still am, am always amazed that the stargazers of Herod's court didn't catch it, didn't see it, didn't understand it. The same star rose in their heavens as rose in the heavens of the Babylonians. And they missed it because they were too scared about what would happen if you were the messenger that showed up at Herod's doorstep and said, oh, hey, the Messiah's star is risen. He's around here somewhere. That is not a message you'd want to tell someone like King Herod. But it's a good reminder to us that all things are subject to Scripture and that the Bible contains the answers to our spiritual search when read by the light of the Holy Spirit. It is said that after they had heard the king and his advisors tell them that the Messiah was in Bethlehem, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. The passage reads 
that the star went ahead of them and stopped over that. How many of you know that from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, it's only six miles? When I was living in Jerusalem, uh, one of my friends said, have you been to Bethlehem yet? And I said, no, I haven't. And he said, well, let's go to Bethlehem. I thought, well, okay. All the places I'd been to in Bethlehem were like a day or a day and a half drive to get to it. And so we get in this little auto Bianchi that I had rented for my stay there. By the way, an auto Bianchi is the size of a Fiat, but it has the turning radius of a Cadillac. <laughs> so most people, when they see an auto Bianchi, they, they, they said, did you make that yourself? So just to let you know. So anyway, me and my friend, we got into the auto Bianchi, and uh, I knew Bethlehem was for the south, so I jumped on the most southern highway and I took off. And immediately I started seeing signs of Bethlehem. And then it said, Bethlehem, take a right. And so I took a right and I pulled in and I looked at my watch and it wasn't even 10 minutes. Six miles from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. And the star went ahead of them and it stopped over the place where the child was. I will tell you, right off the bat, when you see things that astronomers try to do, for example, they say there's the alignment of Saturn and the alignment of two other heavenly bodies come together every 20 years, and that's the Christmas star. Well, no, it's not. <laughs> Flat out, no, it's not. This star behaved in a way that no star has ever done before or has ever done since. The closest I can tell you what that must have looked like was uh, I was at uh, the National Training Center in Barstow, California. And uh, for two weeks, they put you through your paces in the Army to make sure that when they deploy you, you know what you're doing. And they did what's called a SAR, a search and rescue. And so we were in our Humvees, and we were, we were covering a grid trying to find this item that had been hidden. And that was part of our test. And there was a helicopter overhead, and it had a searchlight. And that searchlight, for a brief second, shined in, in my eyes as it was, dry, as it was heading that away. And, and, and we were following it, and I was thinking, that must have been what it looked like. That must have been what it looked like. It was so bright and so obvious, you couldn't miss it. But it would have been impossible to follow a normal star to the exact stable where Jesus was. If it had been a normal star, Herod and the religious leaders also could have followed it. All can agree that the wise men were wise, but so was the star. And while there is some difference of opinion concerning the profession of the wise men and where they came from, there is no doubt concerning the wisdom of their activities. And you might say, well, why is this in the book of Matthew? And I want to remind you at the end of Matthew, it teaches us to preach the gospel to everyone without prejudice. The passage says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this passage on the wise men reminds us that we must preach the gospel to all people because we cannot predict who will hear the message and who will not. Those that we do not expect to honor Jesus may someday worship him. The Magi came to worship Jesus. They were very unexpected visitors, led on a spiritual and physical search, 
probably based on that ancient witness of Daniel and passed down through the generations. But on the other hand, those we do not expect to oppose him may seek his death. King Herod sought to kill Jesus rather than place him in his palace. Now think about that. If God is sending the Messiah and every Jew from the time of when they occupied Israel looked for the Messiah. It should have been a time of happiness. And for someone like King Herod to be told Messiah is in the building or in the land there, he should have been overjoyed. Hey, during my kingship, the Messiah showed up. Man, let's take him into the palace. Let's give him a royal education. Let's do everything that we can do to help this, this Messiah with his mission. And yet, the very person that should have welcomed him sought to kill him. Jesus' religious elite took Jesus for granted. When the Magi asked them, where is the Messiah to be born? They said, Bethlehem. But none of them jumped up and said, hey, can we go with? We'd like to go with you. No. They took him for granted. And so the theme in Matthew was, at the end, to preach the gospel to everyone. And it's repeated over and over in Matthew, if you'll look at it. So Matthew always asked us to make your personal choice. Which character are you? Are you a hostile one to the gospel? Are you an indifferent one? Are you among the worshipers? The search of the wise men proves their wisdom. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, during the time of King Herod, the passage tells us that Magi came from the east. The Bible says the Magi saw the star in the east. It is not clear if they saw a star rise in the sky east of Babylon or if the Magi themselves, while in the east, saw a star rise in the west. See, we don't know that. Were they in their houses in Babylon and they saw it happen? Or were they just happened to be out and about and saw it happen and they drop everything and went? The passage allows for both. We saw his star in the east could be read either way. The Magi probably did not follow the star to Jerusalem. When they saw where the star was leading them, and how many of you know that there is no west of Israel? Because that's the Mediterranean Sea. So as they were following the star, and they crossed the wilderness into Israel, the first thing that would go through their mind is, let's go see the king. He's got to know where the Messiah is. And so they went to Jerusalem to find the king. They did not think of the star as a strange coincidence. And we are proven wise if we're still searching for him. Remember in the book of Hebrews, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Just like the Magi saw the star, knew what it meant, and began a long journey in the east, if we are wise at all, we will recognize the things that God gives us to lead us to Jesus and begin our own journey toward the king. Now here's where I say something controversial, okay? Jesus was around six years, correction, six months to two years old by the time the wise men arrived. All right? A lot of people don't know that. Like I said, just like my uncle, they have a vision of the portrait on the wall 
and the magi are there, and the shepherds are there, and the angels are there, and all this. But the reality is that Jesus would have been six months to two years old by the time the magi shown up. And the reason I say that is that if the magi were in Babylon and they saw his star rise, they would immediately saddled up their best horses and took off. And that would have taken them anywhere from four and a half to six months to make that journey. We'll just let you know. They're, they would have told their king what they were doing. The king would have loaded them up to send congratulations to the new realms, to the, the rulers of other realms. But keep in mind, too, that the title of the king of Persia was king of kings, highest of kings. But these men were wise because they recognized that there is a king above all kings, above the king of Persia, Jesus, the true king of kings. When the Magi arrived, they found him in a common house, not a king's palace. Wise men still know that wherever they find Jesus, he is still worthy of worship. And worship for Christians means to put Christ at the center of what you do. The gifts of the wise men... Oh, I'm about to step over something here. Um, a lot of people ask, well, why was the, the, the Holy Family still in Bethlehem at the time this all took place? Because for a lot of people who don't believe in the Bible, they would have said, as soon as Mary had the child, and the child and Mary were well enough to travel, why didn't they go back to Nazareth? Why did they stick around? Some of you might be asking that same question. Let me help you. If you are a lady who is pregnant and you have your child, all right, you have seven days of purification according to the Jewish law that you must go through first. On the eighth day, if you had a boy, that boy is circumcised. And then you have purification rites that you have to do for another 33 days. So Mary was going to stay in Bethlehem for 40 days according to the law, no matter what. And at the end of her uh, purification, she would have sacrificed, if she was poor, two doves or two pigeons. And that's exactly what Mary did. And you might say, well, okay, that's 40 days. Why are they still around? Well, they didn't have welfare back then. And Joseph was a carpenter. And many of you I know are carpenters or deal in carpentry in this auditorium. And many of you might like to know that my family owns a tree farm in Mendenhall, Mississippi. We make nice southern uh, pine, and uh, if you ever need any. So anyway, <laughs> so anyway, uh, if you buy southern pine, it's probably mine, so I'll just let you know. All right. So uh, anyway, he's a carpenter, and many of you know that carpenters are in demand, just like they are right now. I'm sure many of you have projects around your house. You'd like a good carpenter to come in and take care of for you. Well, the same thing was true then. Joseph was near the capital city, Jerusalem. There was plenty of work for a carpenter to do. And he lined up jobs. And when the time came, he was working off those jobs. So I have no doubt in my mind that Joseph was going to make good money until he was done. And then they'd go back home. Well, in this case, the Magi showed up. Either six months or two years, take your pick. Uh, they showed up, they presented their presence. Uh, it says in Matthew 2.11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. 
And then they opened the treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. Let's look at what they gave. Gold, of course, was valuable. It was a valuable commodity. Could be spent anywhere with anybody. Even to this day, if someone shows up at your house and they present you a bill and you hand over a gold Kruger end, well, they're going to take it. They're not going to say no. Frankincense. It's a pungent, bitter, yellow, easily pulverized gum resin from trees in South Arabia. When used as an incense, in other words, if you burn it, it gives off an aromatic fragrance. And myrrh. Many have noted that myrrh was used for embalming, but it was also used for incense and perfume. These gifts prove the wisdom of the wise men. Reading beyond our selected text realizes that right next, after we're done with this text, the angels appear to the Magi and they tell them, don't go back to Herod. Take another way home. And an angel appears to Joseph and says, Joseph, get out of here. Go to Egypt. Go to Egypt now. And a poor carpenter with no money all of a sudden has gold, frankincense, and myrrh, stuff he can spend anywhere. In case you ever wonder what happened to the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And he fled to Egypt with those. Wise men didn't know the whole gift. When Joseph and his family received those gifts, they didn't know what they were for. But God did. They didn't know the whole plan, but they gave obediently. And wise men still give good gifts. Uh, I had a joke I was going to tell you, and my wife nixed it. <laughs> but uh, wise men do not give fake gifts. Wise men give the wonderful gifts, the gifts that mean something. And the wise man cheerfully gave what God led them to give. 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has desired in his heart to give, not reluctantly, under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We give monies to this church, but so often we have things that we do for other people. Emergencies come up. We hear about them. I think about Israel at this time. And we do things, and we always like to give cheerfully. Give what God calls you to give, and give cheerfully so that God will bless you. Now, you might ask, well, why did the wise men, were they told to go a different way? And I kind of covered that already. Undoubtedly, Herod would have killed them for just suggesting that there was another king, and that maybe Herod wasn't the true king. Wise men are still obedient to God. You know... We serve a forgiving God. Just let you know that. So many of us at this time of the year wonder, are we forgiven? And I look down on our manger scene, and there we have a little babe in the manger telling us a story from God that we are forgiven. That is true. And that we are forgiven of our sins when we accept Jesus as our Savior and Lord. We serve a forgiving God. But when we are wise enough to be obedient to Him, we will begin to experience 
the extra measure of his love to us. And in closing, the world has many standards for measuring wisdom, but no one is wise until he truly fears the Lord. The Psalms, the 111th chapter says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding, and to him belongs eternal praise. Let's pray, shall we? And gracious and loving Heavenly Father, this year, this time of year, we see Jesus in almost everything that we do. Jesus' name is on the lips of those who at any other time might not consider accepting him as our Savior and Lord. But Jesus is in the air. And so for us, if we have an opportunity to share what we know, and I always like to tell people, don't share the scriptures. Share what Jesus did for you. Because no one can refute what God did for you. Oh Lord, help us to follow. Help us to be wise. Help us to be simple. So that in the things that we do, we might do them correctly. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.